0: 30. Hello. The whispering streaks that lead forth and back, back and forth across the dinner table, are frightening ones, especially when a woman is on the Trump side and is trying to diet. As Anne Dearborn watched her husband, James, scrape up the last succulent bit of cream of pieces, the thought of have punched of ham floating in it, she felt hatred creep into her heart. Nervously, her fingers crumbled the bit of Swedish bread that lay on her service plate. When James looked up and grinned at her, she had an absurd desire to squeeze. Candy certainly is a good cook. You can ring for I am if you want to. Very well. <laughs> oh, you're going boy. Yes, Candy. You may take me to the end we should have some of this soup, too, Miss Dearborn. She didn't know what she was missing. Candy, what else you got for dinner? Uh, Breaded grilled cutlets, creamed potatoes, asparagus, ricotta and sauce, banana marshmallow, peanut salad, and peach um, shortcake. Oh, it sounds too rich, Candy. I'll never let you find another meal. I hadn't been out all day arranging for the charity bridge. I chose all Mr. Dearborn's best favorite. You bet you did. And you lay off, Candy. She knows what I like. you may serve Mr. Dearborn's dinner on one of the grill plates, Candy. It's not worth our pasty things. I only want asparagus without sauce. Um melted butter bread, right? No melted butter. Yes, sir. <laughs> no melted butter. No sauce. No nothing. <sighs> Honestly, the way you spoil that girl. Yes, she's a wonderful cook. Seems like you're a bit edgy tonight, Anne trouble no, don't eat right. Plain asparagus isn't enough for a big girl like you. As a matter of record, James Dearborn, I am not a big girl. I am 57 in my stocking suit, and I only weigh 120. I weighed 150 when we were first married. Mm-hmm. I think I'll go to my room. I head aches. Well, maybe you do need a nap. I'll bring you some shortcake later. I don't want any shortcake. I just want to be left alone. Oh, where did Miss Dearborn go to? Well, yes, she went upstairs, Candace. She has a headache. It ain't only a headache, Mr. Dearborn. Miss <laughs> Dearborn she's just about starved. Dry toast for breakfast, lettuce for lunch, vegetables for dinner. Anybody lady her snickety on them rassets? <laughs> upstairs to her bedroom and slammed the door and threw herself across the bed and started to cry. But the storm had passed by the time Jane tiptoed into the room with a dish in his hand. Darling. Oh, don't wave that short take under my nose, do Oh, I set it on the bureau then. I am. Um, at the time you and I had a plain talk, you used to be the sweetest woman in the world. That's why I fell in love with you. You're not sweet these days. You've lost more than 30 pounds since you started dieting. You've lost your disposition. Well, I forgive my disposition and my diet. And I only say you can Since when? And huh. um, I can't reconcile you with a girl I married. When I think of our honeymoon in that little cabin on the mountains and you cooking flapjacks on an oil oh, stove Oh, shut up, Tim. I'm too old and to elected. What you need, Anne, is a dose of absent treatment. I'm gonna to go to the club and play some poker. Goodbye. i he's really angry, didn't you didn't think he's did oh, He's not as angry as I thought he'd tell you that. I just like yeah. Uh, I came back for a dish of beef shortcake. No use wasting it. If you don't eat it? I will. In just a moment, Betty Davis will be back again. But first, family protection to survivors of a serviceman covered by Social Security. Include monthly Social Security checks to a widow with minor children. Starting with the month of the death, a check will go to the widow, and a separate check is made out to the children. The widow's payments will continue while the children are under 18 years of age. The payments stop, however, if the widow remarries or goes to work. Remember, these Social Security benefits are paid in addition to other survivor checks payable by the veterans administration. Have you investigated your Social Security benefits? And now, back to our story with Betty Davis. It was perhaps an hour later that Anne eased herself up from the bed in which she was lying. The house was still. James, by now, was playing poker, and Candy, who slept out, had gone home. Anne went over to the mirror and stood staring at herself. Mm, no. No, I'm not the girl you married. He's quite right. In fact, he's of my cheekbones now. I'm, I'm much more attracted to Katie than I was at Candy. it's about that bridge party. I. Anne. It's you. Yeah, me. Uh, why do you know, Ann? Lester Maxwell's in town. He's at the club this minute. Well, what's he doing here? Uh, he came to finish a narrative poem. says he's always remembered this town as a haven of peace. <laughs> <laughs> uh, did, um, did, did you tell him we were married? Uh, sure. Mind if I bring him home for an hour or so? He'd like to see you, Ann. Lester Maxwell. Uh, it's yes. Yes, you bring him home, or well, we'll be with you before you can say two short <laughs> Bye, Anne. As she swished herself into another dress, Anne was remembering the rush Lester Maxwell had given her when she was just a few years out of high school. He left town the day after she turned down his proposal of marriage. But that hadn't kept her from being thrilled when his poem suddenly broke into the bestseller class when he had a play in blank verse on Broadway. Uh Oh, There must be suddenly brutal. Well, here's the local lion, eh? Lester. How nice. Come on in, you two. Oh, yes. and dear, you're lovelier than you were ten years ago. Far lovelier. i be a thinner anyway. Don't need enough to keep a bird alive. You married, Max? Oh, sometimes a man realizes too late that he's left the beauty of his life passing by. No, no, I'm not married. Uh, let's go in the living room. I have a million questions. Yeah. This way, Lester. Right. Well, you've, you've certainly gone places and done things since our dad's class. Oh, hey, he's just come from Hollywood. Uh, did you meet Sophia Loren while you were in Hollywood Fellowship? Uh, uh, sit down, Mr. This is the most comfortable chair. Oh, yeah. It's my chair. But uh, so you can have it just once. Uh, how long does it take to write a book of poems? Well, oh, it depends upon my mood, Jim, whether or not it holds. Whether or not it holds? You get paid by the word? <laughs> For heaven's sake, do you get paid by the word for your brief? I only wish I did. But well, let's skip my brief. Law belongs in the office, not in the house. You see? You don't want to talk about your profession, and I'm sure Lexia doesn't want to talk about his. Oh, that's all right, Anne. I'm glad you're interested. And after all, writing verse and the practice of law are vastly different. It's just <laughs> Anne was wrong. Lester did like to talk about himself. He savored his biographical words the way James Dearborn savored his food. It was two o'clock when the local lion glanced at his watch. Oh, I'm be getting over to the hotel, I suppose. Why don't you bunk with us, Max? Well, the hotel's stuff in. We've got a big guest room and a swell cook. Oh, how stupid of me. Well, I should have suggested that. Well, I can't tell you how much I appreciate your hospitality, Jim. The hotel is rather grumpy. Are you sure it'll be all right, Ann? Oh, I'm delighted, simply delighted. But, Jim, you're why? Well, I was just thinking it's been a long while since dinner. And I, I wonder if you can fix up some ham sandwiches on rice. Oh, no sandwiches for me, and I'm on the strictest sort of routine. I'm subject to dyspepsia, you know, a, a rusk and a glass of skim milk, if you happen to have any. Yeah, milk. Well, well, I suppose you can make up for it at breakfast. Well, I have unbuttered gluten toast and black coffee for breakfast. Now, on Sundays, however, I allow myself marmalade as a special treat. This is getting gruesome. Well... Let's drive over to the hotel and get your bags. Uh, I'll go get the car. Oh. Uh, Sorry, I'll put it in the garage. Oh, what an exuberant type he is. Such vitality. Well, he works very hard. He needs vitality. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. And, and all evening I've been talking about myself. Now tell me about you. What have you been doing since we said goodbye in the moonlight? Uh, uh, well, I'm a, a typical small town life, Esther. Been parties, movies, the uh, Tomorrow, I ought to hear lots more about you, Lester. N- not the things you told Jim when he bombarded you with questions. The N- off the record things I haven't read in the newspapers. Off the record, Pete? Well, there's only this, man. I've been very lonely. You are lovelier than ever. A week going by. After a week of Lester, Anne told herself that life had taken on a new meeting. One evening when she and James and Lester were in the living room together... With Lester starting the conversational ball as usual, we've talked volumes literally in these last seven days. Lingering over black coffee at breakfast and lettuce at lunch, quite oh, fun. I'm basking in the reflected glory, Jim. Everybody wants to meet Lester or borrow him. You lost a couple of more pounds. You didn't have to. He had it. Oh, and. He's very becoming. Well, I like a girl who can tramp in the woods and cook flapjacks over an old stove and, and eat two dozen of them herself. And him, him. you are revolting. Uh, you look, I hope you people don't mind, but i I, I sent for my trunk. You're making me so comfortable here. Yes. Oh, we adore having you. Oh, oh speaking of trunks, uh, I must pack a suitcase. I'm flying to Chicago day after tomorrow. Uh, I may be away for a week or two. But... Hmm. Oh, well, I'll be moving back to the hotel then. I wish you'd told me to him be before I sent to my trunk. Oh, for the love of paper, why should you move back to the hotel? The thing, my dear son. Oh, don't be a dope. Anne's my wife, and you're my friend. Even so, people will talk. Oh, It is a pity my new book had almost reached its climax. Well, then we can't let you move out. That's final. But, look, I... I've been sort of one to have Millie's girl come here for a visit. Perhaps this is the time. Uh, Millie is Jim's older sister. She's married to a rancher named Murphy and missing in a Texas. Uh, Her daughter's just 20. Well, uh, I'll be killing two birds with one stone. Joe can play chaperone and have a visit at the same time. Joe's short for Josephine. Josephine. That's a beautiful name. Napoleon and Josephine. An immortal love story. You were twenty when I first knew you, Anne. In just a moment, Betty Davis will be back. There are hundreds of children in Germany, as well as hundreds more in the United States, who believe that Sergeant Charles E. Davis was a year round Santa Claus. The children's belief is well founded, for Davis, a Tennessee born orphan, became a sort of guardian angel for orphans when he spearheaded the organizing of the Hands Across the Ocean Committee, which provided assistance for the orphanages in West Germany. It all began when Davis, a military police veteran of over 30 years' service, was stationed near Pottsville, Pennsylvania, in 1952. He discovered a down at the Heels orphanage housing over a hundred children. A quick investigation convinced him that the institution needed help badly. And he decided to do something about it. So he hustled back to his MP company and listed the support of other soldiers and began a building fund which was used to buy blankets, food and toys for the children. Soon after helping put the Pennsylvania orphanage on its feet, Sergeant Davis was transferred to Germany. There he found children in even worse conditions than back home. Many of them still lived in the streets, dirty and destitute, because of overcrowded conditions in orphanages. The sergeant went right to work and organized a group of MPs to assist in improving conditions of the orphanages in towns' northern states. They began by rounding up dozens of trucks, boxes of clothes and blankets, and hundreds of colorful toys then Davis sent out appeals for help from many other sources. Soon so many bits were pouring in, that the Hands Across the Ocean Committee had to be formed to help Sergeant Davis and his assistants with their distribution. No wonder hundreds of unfortunate orphans still think of Sergeant Charles E. Davis as a year-round Santa Claus. As a result of his unselfish work, the sergeant has given us all the thought to remember. We are Americans. As we go... So goes America. And now, back to our story with Betty Davis. Joe Murphy came like a tornado out of Texas. She was a tall girl, built like the figurehead on a ship, with a mane of hair and a vast enthusiasm. She arrived on the day James left. She was big-boned and slightly overweight like her uncle. She called Anne, auntie, and regarded Lester with awe. Oh, I'm simply insane about everything you write. Sometimes I cry and cry. Oh, thank you, my dear, thank you. Which poem do you especially like? Oh, the one about the silver sails against the baby sea. Joe, you must be dead after your train trip. Oh, I'm never tired. I'll unpack as soon as we've had lunch. Oh, I'm afraid lunch will be sketchy, dear. Mr. Maxwell and I, I are in this city food. Oh, well, you look okay, Addie. Well, you could stand a pound or two. But Mr. Maxwell, he's building up. Honey's a hostile man. Oh, there's a cowboy back home. His name's Chuck Weldon, and he keeps his riding, and there's a divorcee after him is he <laughs> Well, I'd rather not hear about my hated rival. You were saying that I needed building up. Oh, you sure do. You could use lots of space and baked potatoes. But uh, Mr. Metro has dyspepsia. I knew a man who had dyspepsia. He was crazy for me. I told him it was all in his mind. Maybe it's in your mind, Mr. Maxwell. Well, maybe it is, my dear. But I do wish you'd call me Les. <laughs> the first luncheon together was Joe mashing Leslie's baked potato with cream and butter with fantastic. All afternoon, Anne waited apprehensively for cries of pain, but nothing happened. Left ate a huge dinner, and then he and Anne and Joe sat on the porch until mm-hmm. 9.30, when Anne sent Joe to death. She left protesting. And when she was out of hearing... Oh, she's lovely, not she? A corn-fed Amazon. Oh, a glorious woman. Oh, but that's an experience come to me. What do you mean by such an experience? Love, Anne, love. Jo is scarcely more than a child in years, but she's as old as the Sphinx in wisdom. Some children are very clever, and some are very crafty. Oh, Josephine is without guile entirely. I'm not sure that I agree with you. She's almost too hearty. Oh, don't you mean... Earthy. Well, then, she's almost too earthy to be true. Oh, an earthy woman, a warm, vibrant, understanding woman. Here I've been systematically starving myself for years. I've been starving, too. It's becoming to me. A real man like this, the vital mother of all creation type. Well, you've known me for years, Anne, and you didn't recognize that I was going along on my nerves, but Joe saw immediately. I, with my body properly nourished, I'll write my most important book. Anne, where are you going? There was some chocolate cake left over from dinner, and I didn't have any dessert. I've decided I want a big slice of it and some unskimmed milk. I'll join you. Now that I've started to eat, the habit growing on me: chocolate cake and milk. <laughs> It was not quite two weeks later that Lester and Joe and Anne were seated at the dinner table. As candy, glowing like a harvest moon, entered the room with her tray, Lester tipped his plate so that he might capture the last spoonful of cream of tomato soup. Oh, Oh, that was looking good. I made it with fresh tomatoes. Well, oh, that was obvious, Candy. What else is there for dinner? We got roast beef and peas and new potatoes and fruit salad with cream dressing. Oh, stop, Candy. You're breaking my heart. Sounds fine, Joe, doesn't it, huh? Eh? Oh, yummy. You know, the never stable is well here, Candy. But Lester has the making of a real cowboy. Of course, i made these bread. Well, you two kids are so happy. I see anyway. Uh, besides, I have a splitting headache. Candy will bring you a chair. Sure will. Oh, well, of course, if you have a headache, Anne, I won't urge you to stay, but. Well, we'll miss you, won't we, darling? Anne went upstairs. She seated herself at the desk in her bedroom and started mentally compose a letter. She was so absorbed that she didn't hear the door open and close. Hi there, honey. Papa's home. Jim. Oh, Jim, darling. Doc, honey, you're a sight for sure. All right? seems mighty fine to have my girl in my arms again. Oh, she's awfully good to be there. I was just starting to write to your oh, you a letter. Are you certainly I lost the news. They told me as I came through the dining room, Joe and Lester engaged. Well, I'll be gone. And they're going to be married in a few weeks. I, um, I hope Lester's position in the literary world hasn't bagged your really niece, but... Jim, you were reminiscing a while ago about a certain little cabin. That's right, honey. Well, let's sign up for the cabin for a vacation. Sort of a second honeymoon. As soon as we get Joe and Lester out of our hair. Oh, it'll be fun to cook flat cats over an oil stove. <coughs> at this season of the year and served with maple syrup. They sounds good to any he-man at any season. And speaking of men, how about Chuck Weldon, the cowboy Joe Murphy told about, who had a rich divorcee after him because he was so husky. Do you wonder whether the divorcee got him or if another woman got him? Davis to tell you more about Chuck Weldon. Yes, there's always another woman when a cowboy's young and attractive and husky because, well, such cowboys have the same effect on women that flapjacks and maple syrup have on men. You'll realize that I'm telling the truth when you hear Chuck Weldon's story. Until then, it is Betty Davis saying goodbye. From the Whispering. Today's program was written by Margaret E. Thanksgiving. Featured in the cast were Joan Banks, Lester Fletcher, Hans Connery, Ruth Parrott, and Eve McVeigh. Whispering Streets was directed by Gordon T. Hughes and produced by Ted Lloyd. Your announcer is Dan Coverly.